Welcome to the Learning Hook Podcast. Join our team as they explore topics across learning and development, e-learning, media production, and all those creative learning spaces in between. For us, it's the just in time, just enough, and just for you. So let's learn, connect, perform, and do something great. Welcome to the Learning Hook Podcast. Today we're sitting down for a chat with James Beverlander, Group Digital Learning Manager for the Cotton On Group. On the podcast is myself, Brendan Carter, Creative Director at the Learning Hook, and Justin Crookshank, Design and Production Manager at the Learning Hook. So during our chat with James, you'll get to know him a whole lot more and hear about the amazing journey he's had in L&D and the award-winning work he and the creative team at Cotton On Group are doing. There's a particular focus on video too, how and when to use it with a whole lot of tips. It's sort of what inspired the podcast too. Um, I was lucky enough to see a lot of this work during a, a talk that James did at a conference, hence why I asked for an interview. Our discussion covers a whole lot of ground too, including compliance, of which I think there's a lot to learn from the approach James takes and, and probably a lot of takeaways for retail from the Cotton On Group's um, approach, which, which I think is really creative. Other highlights include a terrible suggestion from me to film something from the boot of a car. You'll have to listen out for that one. A question about jingles near the end of the podcast, which resulted in an unexpected answer. And some other great material covering learning bites, learning adventures, and how to use data from outside of the LMS. So welcome. And I hope you enjoy this chat as much as the three of us did. Welcome, James. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for joining us. It's oh. great to have you come in for a chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm yeah. excited to be here. We'd love to start with a bit of background. Um, yeah. So I was interested in a bit of your journey. I know it's probably 20 years in L&D yeah. or thereabouts. Um, but, yeah, what, what sort of led you to L&D? Just tell it. I'm really interested in those stepping stones along the way, even if it's not L&D related. It might have been before. Yeah, well... I guess I kind of fell into the L&D world by chance. My dad has, has kind of always worked in the TAFE industry and um, I kind of got my first gig through him. But I've always considered myself an artist, so I went to art school and out of that I fell in love with um I did as one of the minor courses you could do, did digital art and digital illustration, which was, was kind of a, a new field back then. In when the, was that? Oh, by 97 or something yeah. so illustrator and photoshop were very rudimentary compared to what they were now oh, but yeah. it, but it just blew my mind and and after that i was in love and i just wanted to create illustrations um a, a little bit of animation and stuff along the way so i guess yeah linking back to the D world i, I kind of got my start i was able to apply my trade uh yeah in L and it wasn't it wasn't something that I ever thought, oh, I want to go into L&D. I just wanted to create illustration. I wanted to create digital art. And I guess that's kind of how it happened. And, like, what drives me is I love being creative. Anything that gives me an outlet of creativity, I'll always chase down. And maybe for a while I was actually questioning whether L&D was actually going to be able to scratch that itch for me. Um, maybe I fell into a couple of jobs that... We're very dull, very run-of-the-mill, and there was no creativity at all. And I was yeah, questioning whether L&D was the right place. But far you could take it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But I think, yeah, particularly in the last 10 years or so, the industry or maybe the jobs I was taking, like the industry feels like it's matured. There's a, there's a lot more emphasis on quality. Maybe it's the whole uh, UX thing blowing up mm. and, and people actually caring about the user at the other end it's it's given me an outlet to be creative and to create really engaging learning experiences so i think there's a real practical part of that progression too that we often forget is internet speeds have improved a lot over over the last 10 years right so what that's enabled a lot more media rich content yeah to be served online in in every way in every type of media we consume online too and that's that's been a big change for lnd from what i've seen oh absolutely and i guess it's kind of fortunate that that happened at the same time that um flash died because mm. for probably about 10 years of my career i was a flash developer mm. so creating yeah, interactions um and, and animations through flash mm. and then yeah as everyone knows flash kind of died a slow and painful death but at the same time yeah bandwidths in big organizations were 
slowly not becoming an issue. So I was able to transfer my skills from there into motion graphics, into video. Mm. So, yeah. And that's been the more recent development too, as, as uh, internet speeds have allowed more video content. Oh, absolutely. It's been a big change. And yeah. I think that's, a, that's a, a hugely positive change. Yeah. And I think, I think back to, because I've always worked in, generally in big corporations and for a while there there's kind of big brother and you know if i'm on youtube or streaming music or whatever um then for a while their big brother would kind of tap you on the shoulder and say your data usage is way too much you're in the top 10 for the business i, but, I love those emails yeah i remember once saying well done you're in the top 10 yeah. i was going to open the email yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like a pop yeah. <laughs> top 10 emails i think i've had that many anyway <laughs> Yeah, that, that slowly kind of phased out and bandwidth isn't really an issue. And, yeah, if anything, like people, yeah, people consume media. It's a part of our lives. It's what we do. So, yeah. I, you know, that, that discussion around the internet too, it's, for me it's come a little bit full circle because, and, and you'd, you'd recall too probably, in, you know, around, say, oh, 2000 or early 2000s, there was the uh, CBT, computer-based training. Yeah. Um, and computer-based training was a lot of CD production. Yeah. And I had a gig at the time in the Army and we were creating really high-end training. Some of it was really, you know, gamified, heavy video stuff. Um, we, we were shooting hostage situations and all kinds of things, sending crews around overseas and um, using that in our L&D space. But everything's on a CD. So yeah. it was high-end media. Yeah. And, but, and, and then we sort of went into a lull. Yeah, and, and I saw heaps of. Um, it was when the internet, say, was picking up, but the speeds were low. It was when we couldn't upload more than twenty meg to an LMS. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or two meg, right? They'd like every video can't be more than two meg. There was all these sort of rules, and it was really restricting at the time. We had yeah. to crunch everything down from a video point of view, but also the um, the clip art cowboys. I used to call them. And when you were saying before, James, about that illustration side of your art, yeah, creative. There was just so much. I just called it clip art cowboys, I guess, was my phrase at the time, but I really didn't like that. Yeah. It was people getting all, I guess, excited about what you could do with PowerPoint mm. and, and reusing the, um, the clip art that came for free. Yeah. Um, yeah. As opposed to having someone like yourself that could create something from scratch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. There, there kind of was that period after CD-ROMs and, mm. uh, yeah, like there's a lot of rich, really cool learning experiences yeah. out there. Yeah. And then that kind of phased out mm. and then there wasn't. Yeah, yeah that, those rich experiences happening for a while. But yeah. uh, Flash is almost the same cycle yeah. because Flash, from an animation point of view, particularly and even interactivity you know, yeah. through animation, we, we did some really cool stuff with Flash and yeah. even, like a lot of interactive video in Flash, actually. Yeah. Um, but then it went backwards again yeah. with the sort of, you know, um, Steve Jobs' destruction of Flash. Yeah. Um, to, a lot of developers had to reskill or, or use tools that are sort yeah. of recreating Flash experiences. But, yeah, it's, it's on the up again now. I guess technology's moved on and we're doing things in HTML that yeah. are, are similar. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I guess yeah. maybe there's also, and I think back to some of the Flash stuff I did back in the day, so early 2000s, and it was like, it was amazing. There's some, like, amazing animations and stuff happening, but they probably weren't always needed as well. So I think yes. there's kind of that maturing, um, you know, as, as I sort of touched on before, mm. um, the, the rise of UX and maybe mm. that, you know, less is more or if we're going to use, um, yeah, multimedia that we do it in a purposeful, engaging yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Heaps more focus on outcomes. Yeah. And... With, I guess talking about that, where you're at now and, and where all of that journey's led, and I, I'm not sure how long you've been with Cotton On, but um, I, I saw you speak um, a little while ago now about, um, it probably touched on your journey there, but particularly I was just so interested about how Cotton On's doing what I understood, um, the majority of the mm. training. But I, I, if you could share, James, with us, um, you know, I guess what you can around that sort of journey of L&D, how does Cotton On do learning? Yeah. Where did it come from and what are you doing now? Uh, so I've been yeah. with Cotton On, the group digital learning manager now. Um, mm. I've been with their, at Cotton On for the last two years, but I guess the L&D department is still relatively young for a big organisation. And the organisation mm. itself has, is almost the original sort of startup before startups were a thing. It was born out of the owner and founders, uh, the boot of his car selling denim jackets. And I think that was in 91. So I didn't know that story. I love that. So it's like I.I. Net started yeah. in a garage. You know, it's yeah, yeah. such a good 
story. Yeah, a true story. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it was kind of baby steps there for a while and then they went from just being cotton on to a few other brands and and now it's seven brands in 18 countries, I believe, and 22,000 team members. So that's that that's kind of happened and I guess the the L&D department and our role has has grown with the company so I think the L&D that I recognize today has probably been around for five or six years maybe before that there was some RTO type training happening but I think we've only actually had an LMS for the last four to five years Mm. so from what I understand it was a you know great new shiny toy and, and an awesome opportunity to get learning out to the masses, but there was, there's no learning assets. So I think for a couple of years there, the strategy for the guys was to get uh, as, as much stuff up there as possible to pick the brains of the leaders and, and to really, yeah, get the learning up there. That, mm. That's important. Mm. And, and then when I came in a couple of years ago, I, I was kind of blown away to see what the guys had achieved in such a short amount of time. And in a way, I think the last couple of years have been, the strategy's almost been taking a deep breath. It's not about punching out, you know, endless amounts of content that covers everything. If anything, we've actually trimmed it back a lot and everything we do is micro-learning, so... There's, there's no 40-minute click, mm. click sort of uh, e-learning modules or, you know, half-an-hour videos or anything like that. That's And that's always been the philosophy of the team is to provide learning that's, I guess, just in time. You can grab it as much as possible in your workflow. But I, I think very much now where we've landed, as I said, is we're kind of focusing on what's important and asking ourselves, you know, really, is it, is it knowledge for the sake of knowledge or, or is this going to help uh, the team perform? So the saying in our, our team is like performance over knowledge. So mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of where we're landed and we're focusing a little bit as well on, I guess, looking at job clusters and, mm-hmm. and within the business and trying to help people navigate the business. So if they want to move from, I think there's a saying, in recruitment that people zigzag through the business. So we really want L&D to help empower people to zigzag from one role to the next, whether it's they're in planning now and they want to go across to more of a trend role, um, we're able to help facilitate and provide, yeah, help fill that knowledge gap, I guess. Yeah. And I guess that complexity too with the... um you know, the, I guess the seven brands, 22,000 team members, when you're starting to map roles, is that a bit of a challenge? Oh, absolutely. And I, we're actually going through that as a team now and as a broader team where we're looking at all the oh. job descriptions and how they fit in and, and oh. more broadly, yeah, what that, that performance ecosystem looks like. And I think we're, yeah, we're looking at new software to try and yeah to manage that and tie it all together so to try and tie that whole employee experience together Mm. from starting knowing where you can go knowing what maybe what your gaps are how to find those gaps it's it's a massive piece of work and i'm guessing it'll probably take a couple of years to get right that'll give you clarity too though i guess on that particularly those clusters and and the content and the approach the the lnd strategy for those yeah that job architecture with such a complex environment oh absolutely Um, and I, I guess talking back to the video and more the content side of things at Cotton On, mm. I, I was really, I mean, this is a this is a podcast as opposed to a vodcast, yeah. um, but I was really, what I saw of your work was really creative, looked look fantastic, and I guess, um, I don't know if it's a daggy phrase or not, not but I, I saw it as edutainment, yeah. um, you know, at, a, at an adult, in an adult work environment, I guess. Um, yeah. It looked like you guys have a lot of fun creating those videos oh. too. It seemed, though, that the majority of the training that was used at Cotton On was video-based. Is that still – is that fair? Because I um, – yeah. It's kind of a bit of a split mm. for a while there, and maybe it's ramped down a little bit because when I first started two years ago, there was a dedicated video team. Um, right. So there was a, a team of instructional designers. They would create the e-learning and – well, the learning bites, and then there was a video team, um, which was almost as big. So mm. – but I think that's kind of trimmed down a little bit and maybe it's, I don't know, maybe 
every video there might be two or three learning bites. So it's mm. yeah, it still makes up a large portion of what we do. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It, it must be. Um, I guess the what are the skill sets in those teams? Like from a from a video production sense, because not. Yeah. I, I know um, not every organisation is is probably lucky enough or, or has that. Most large organisations will have the dedicated, yeah. you know, design team that is working on face to face facilitation, some e learning. They don't necessarily have video production. That might sit in a different department, or they're working with videographers outside of the brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, in our team, we've. We've got some instructional designers who, I guess, double up as um, copywriters. Mm. Uh, we've got a videographer, so a dedicated videographer. Mm. I sort of class myself as a bit of a mix of everything. So I do animation, some video, some script writing, copywriting, a mm. um, bit of the creative direction, that sort of stuff. And we've also got a uh, dedicated graphic designer as well. So. Mm. We like to do a lot of animated stuff, um, particularly for, I guess, really hard to explain concepts and processes. Uh, we do a, yeah, a lot of yeah, in-house made animation and motion graphics. So mm. I guess, yeah, like really it's the, the sky's the limit. And the biggest um, thing that we have to worry about is, is time, is you know, how much time have we got to... To get something out, that that's kind of the only limiting factor on how awesome something can be. And what's up with deadlines? Yeah, I know, <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'd love to come in, just make a feature length movie, get yeah, some uh, yeah, yeah. Hollywood style animation happening. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. I'm, Have you done any doco sort of stuff like that for Cotton On? I imagine the history could be really cool. Um, we like have, as a win hearts and minds sort of piece, you know, particularly the boot. Start from the boot of the car, maybe from the point of view in the boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could be a little bit creepy, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> what are we, fellas? Yeah. Did I say that I was in the army and we shot hostage scenes? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess there's like a couple of video teams floating around the business, and I know there's like a comms, hmm. pure comms, and I know they've done some documentary style things but we've, we've actually um, done a documentary on one of the brands as well um, so Cotton On Body where we there's a series of um, interviews with the mm. with the GM uh, of, of Body at the time over the over a couple of years so that was really interesting mm. to get that that yeah. perspective and, and to see the brand yeah. grow yeah, there's, right. a, there's a real emphasis on uh, the video production side of things there and um, from what you're describing and I'm wondering what drove that. What was the what was the driver that made you guys go? Let's get an internal video. To that's a big step. Yeah, getting the skills in house. What was the driver behind that? Really, we're kind of just producing what our audience wants or how right. how they would, I guess, yeah, consume media, consume learning in their own time. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's about doing what works for them, and as opposed to. Yeah, creating what might work for us. It's easy for us to create a half an hour click-through thing where we bunch 20 topics in into one e-learning module and we can tick multiple boxes for our stakeholder. But, yeah, for the end user, that's not going to engage them. They're not mm. – and, you know, they're probably not going to learn from it either. So, yeah. And I'm guessing with 22,000 team members, it's a fairly diverse audience too? Yeah, massive. And also given that they're across – different countries, different mm. cultures. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, obviously a lot of variety in there. Mm. So we actually um, translate a lot of our core videos, I guess, so the right. ones that get the most hits for our Brazilian audience. So, mm. yeah, so. So you, you're playing, so you're producing a lot of this content in Australia and, yep. then, and sharing it globally? Is yeah. That, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so most yeah. of it is produced in mm. Geelong, or uh, mm. in the surrounding areas um, when we mm. get out to stores. Um, and yeah. I, I guess recently we've been filming a lot on green screen as well because mm. we've been, I guess, tackling a lot of um, soft skills, leadership training, um, and mm. now we're, we've kind of gone into an, an academy setup where mm. we've got the main topics of the business, so retail academy, which is... Your customer facing um, leadership, which is for everyone. You've got Fashion Academy, which I guess is for the team down at the support office who are creating the product. Mm. Um, so we're yeah creating a lot of 
a lot of the content, a lot of the learning in, in line with that. Mm. And those academies, um, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Jack. I was just, those academies, are they sitting on uh, the one LMS? Is, it, is this on a learning management system or are you feeding out the video through, you know, a content management system or something? something yeah, no, different? it all sits yeah. on, yeah, the LMS okay. and we host on yeah. Vimeo. Okay. So get some really, yeah, nice analytics and, yeah. and stuff through there where you can jump on and actually see drop-off rates so yeah you can actually see uh, what's the minute count on that like do you have like what what's the average time people will watch oh three minutes is you can really see a massive drop-off mm. um I, you could say that's maybe mm. our audience but I, I would say that's probably quite a common experience yeah. for a lot of people yeah. um so where we can like less is more definitely less mm. is more and you've, you've spoken about a mix of different types of content you guys do. I'm curious because uh, I'm a big advocate for video. I think I think I think everyone enjoys watching something play out in front of them. Yeah, um, I think it's quite engaging. Can be, should be. Mm. If it's done well. Um, I, I think our audience might be interested in what kind of steps or what factors are involved in making the decision to create a video because obviously different types of content suit different types of learning or different subject matter. Mm. Uh, can you share any steps or factors that you guys go through in deciding what's the right type of content and you know, what, what would influence you to make a video over, say, a click-through? Yeah, so I guess what we would do is we, we probably measure up a few factors. So we'd probably look at who's the audience, like what's the purpose of it and what's the topic um, and really kind of juggle with those three things and out of that not only will we decide is this a video or is this a one pager or is do you know what is this a request that's coming through that should just be a comms email you know you know there's no point us creating a video for absolutely everything and I think we really do try to question that because even if we're creating amazing videos if we're creating it on every single topic like we're, we just don't have enough time and after a while people would just white noise yeah, yeah it's white noise mm. so but I think if out of that, um, juggling those three things, so the the purpose of the video, the target audience and the the subject matter, um, we kind of would balance that up and go, okay, what's the actual right format? So maybe the purpose is we want it um, to, it might be to get some empathy around um, people which then we they'll go into a workshop and um, unpack that subject a bit more. So then we, we might think, well, that's not an animated video. So to, to get empathy around what the customer's feeling, maybe it's we interview some customers, um, actually unpack what they're thinking, how they're affected. So, we yeah, we really, I guess, juggle up what, yeah, what those three things are and they kind of output into the right approach, how we how we tackle something and and I guess it keeps me honest as well because I love animation and everything would be animated but <laughs> but sometimes it's just yeah. it's really you can do some supers though like oh it's yeah, animation yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The top. yeah and that's right and sometimes <laughs> we we blend stuff but sometimes yeah. it's like we've just done a series of video on um mental health and it's yeah, been really powerful just getting people in a room looking down the barrel of the camera telling their story and, yeah, I, I don't think there's any more powerful medium than the actual, actually having them look down the barrel, which is, yeah, that, right. That's, um, yeah, I'm doing a lot of work in, in the mental health space too and I, I think um, getting stories is a real art. Yeah. Do you have, yeah, I guess challenges there with, I mean, that's a, that's a very honest topic and, and I know that once people open up, they can really open up. Yeah. But then a challenge of video too is how much you shoot. Yeah. And then cutting that back to a succinct story, you can spend. Yeah, I think people appreciate sometimes from an audio interview, even or, or video, how long it can take to edit it down oh. if you don't record it the right way to start with. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, can you share anything? I guess how how you approach that, or any um, tips and tricks of getting that great interview? I I think it's about obviously they need to be relaxed, so you don't mm. want. For something that's quite personal like that, you wouldn't want your whole production team in there and you, you kind of want to make it as intimate and as comfortable for them as possible. But I think it's also like you have to have a structure, so some questions you want to 
you ask and follow up on, you kind of need to know a vision in your head of what you want the end product to be. But equally, you almost want want to see where the interview goes because sometimes they will say something can all lead down a completely different mm. path to what you were thinking and it's way better. It's got way more impact. It's, it's really authentic. Mm. So I think it's being open to what's happening in the moment but also knowing, again, the mm. purpose, what you kind of want it to look like and balancing those two things together. Mm. It's a really good point. I think in those interview situations, um, for someone who's maybe new to producing some video content, mm. um, there is that... Uh, focus on that script or that initial conception that you've got of how you want it to run. Yeah. And it's very easy to miss those signposts that the, the other speaker, the interviewee is giving you where they're heading down a different track. And yeah. there is an art to being able to latch onto that, yeah. guide them through that and really explore a different angle mm. yeah, than you totally. might have seen. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's, mm. yeah, it doesn't come naturally. It's, yeah. it's, it takes a different headspace. Yeah, so I guess that's the one type of interview. A lot of the other main kind of interviews we would do probably wouldn't be so heavy. They may be... Box poppy. Yeah, yeah. But, and I guess there's a different art to that is, is really getting the right person in front of the camera and someone mm. who's passionate and is willing to talk to their knowledge. I think yeah. when, when videos, I reckon 95% of corporate videos, yeah. where they go awry is you've got someone who, they might be a CEO, they might be whoever, but they've got dot points they're trying to read off a teleprompter or mm. they've got their EA holding um, some notes on on scraps I've of paper never, in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, totally. But yeah. it's like... It's, it doesn't feel authentic. It so, doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. So I always, yeah. in those situations, and sometimes you have to be like a bit of a, a hard ass and just say, no, the best way to shoot this is... Someone can ask you questions off camera and you just talk to your knowledge. Just talk. If you're passionate about this subject um, and if you're not passionate about it, you probably shouldn't be talking to it. But if you are and you know it, just talk to your knowledge. And for me, that you get the best results every time. And I've, and I think in the early days I struggled with that and I went on a lot of shoots where, yeah, there was just a lot of dot points or someone reading a script. And the thing is to read teleprompter, like newsreaders, there's an art form to that. Yeah. Like yeah, these people true. do this really well. Your, your normal yeah. talent in a business doesn't do it very well and it yeah. just shows up. We're really letting down the quality when we don't push for that. Yeah. Y- yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah. You're spot on, James. I, you're, you're saying that I really reflect on the times that I've shot. We, we've shot things like that too. Yeah. Like, and, and letting, you know, from we're not working in an in, here we're not working internally, yeah. So we're working for a client, but we're getting paid for advice, yeah, and recommendations. And we generally always actually would recommend for that kind of opener, vox pop or on topic. Is let's interview a really good range of people that work here, yeah, from, that that people will recognise as their teammates, yep. you know. Um, and and then often it's it, it can be pushed to say no, we want the executive team on it, and we'll get a teleprompter. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah and it's wooden and it's not we're not doing them a service by kind of yeah. letting that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there's a step in the teleprompter style shoot too that's sometimes overlooked is the writing. You need oh, to be absolutely. writing for that format too. Absolutely. Um, it can be as simple yeah. as getting the timing right as well and the pacing of how it rolls. Yeah. But the question of who, who mm. you shoot, I'm fascinated by that because I've shot a lot of real people, I've shot a lot of actors. Yeah. And what I find fascinating is you can you, you tee up some real people from a business, they're going to come and speak to camera for some box pops. Mm. And almost without fail, it's the person who is vivacious and super talkative and you know, this is going to be a breeze to shoot this person. Yeah. Put them in front of the camera and what do they do? They fall apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nine times out of ten, I'm yeah. going to say, really. True. And it's the person yeah, who's sure. kind of nervous and, oh, you. I'm yeah. going to be awful, this is terrible. They get up and they just speak so honestly and directly. <laughs> yeah. And you just go, that was gold, thank you for just doing that in two takes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, choosing people, I think, can be a real art uh, in itself too. I mean, there's casting. It's a whole industry into mm. itself. Yeah. Right? But Do you use many actors? Uh, no, it's all, yeah. it's all team members. Yeah. yeah. It, it was the compliance side at, at Cotton On that struck me as that you were doing it differently. And I, I don't, you know, time's probably moved on since I last heard you talk, but just interested in, I guess, that perhaps the onboarding journey there and how you might be using video through that. Yeah. So yeah. we have... A induction framework, so I guess it's whether it's a checklist or uh, it's a little booklet that they get 
when when they're onboarded. So it could be someone starting down the su- support office, could be someone starting in store. They they all get a tailored um, little checklist or little induction workbook they can go through. So within that, it's really we try to balance the watching the videos, looking at the learning bites with the you know actually sitting down having a coffee with your with your leader, meeting the team. Um, yeah, nice. yeah, a bit of hands-on sort of yeah, stuff, yeah. And, and try to yeah. blend that as opposed to uh, just you know, content. Yeah, so, and some onboardings that I've experienced. Uh, your first day is you sit, you sitting there, clicking through, yeah, e-learning yeah, for was... the for the whole day, and and for me that's just that's a terrible inter- introduction to L and D for that company. Sure is. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess for us, like learning, isn't this thing that you. Mm-hmm tick a box for compliance it's it's more so a culture a cultural thing that we really want to have a good strong learning culture because that will always drive performance so we don't have anyone that goes back and checks if they've they've done something and, and then there's punitive measures in place if they haven't we think it's on the individual it's on their leaders to make sure they're doing the right training the right learning at the right time so i guess onboarding is a good opportunity to do some of the right things to learn about the company values if you're in store maybe you learn about working from height some of the important things but then also you don't just then forget about it for a year maybe in three months time we've got a huge changeover happening in stores where there's loads of stock stock coming in there's a lot of working from height so that's an opportunity to bring the manual mm. handling back out it's, it's an opportunity mm. to do it just in time again. Just in time and do it in context because, once again, I've seen in organisations compliance season. Mm. If, oh, I couldn't think of a more boring season you could you could ever have. But it's – and you just – you're getting yeah. – I don't know. It's the wrong focus. For me, it's, it's so obvious as well that the business is just ticking a box mm. so they don't get sued as opposed to caring about – really deeply caring about someone's well-being in the case of manual handling or something and getting them to do it at the right time where that the memory of, of what they've learned or the messaging they've got could actually... And they can use it straight away. Use so it straight from away. a learning point of view, they're reinforcing yeah. it too. They're doing something with that knowledge yeah. straight away as opposed to... perform. What you are talking about earlier too is it's performance first, not you know knowledge second. That's I'm right. Sure that's the phrase you use. Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. and yeah. So it's about getting mm. yeah. getting that blend right between, you know, obviously doing what you have to mm. do, but it's in context, it's at the mm. right time, yeah. And how do, you, how do you drive a shift in that kind of culture? Because we've heard this story before where a, a cohort or various cohorts in a business might expect a spoon-feeding approach to learning, yep. that they're just going to do what they're told to do and tick the box and move on and do their job. Um, and some people are very hungry to just, own that learning experience for themselves. Mm. Uh, was that a challenge for you guys to shift that culture? Not that I have seen, and once again, I've sort of only been there for two years. But because we've always had a micro learning, learning bite philosophy, where everything is kind of there and available, mm. and I think the guys um, before we did create. I think they called it learning adventures. So a lot of people were like, oh, okay, how do I choose? Can you tell us what we should do? And it's like a learning path. Yeah, is it? yeah, yeah. yeah. So, cool. it's, so there's a lot of those yeah. for people that want it. Other people might not have wanted it. I go, when we go out to film mm. in stores, sometimes you walk in the, the back the back room and they've got their own little poster up and they've made their own little adventures and they've got their own little leaderboards and stuff that's, yeah, like we never try to, you know, gamify things or, you know, spend too much time mm. on that because that sort of happens a lot at the local level and that's when you... That's fantastic. And that's... Yeah. yeah, yeah I that's, imagine L&D, you go, that's a big tick when you've got oh. teams and leaders of teams, like you were saying earlier, James, it's, it's sort of over to the, the onus is on the yeah. team lead to yep. worry, to, you know, really work directly with their people and be connected to them to know when they might need that safety piece or yeah. have a look at it just in time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. And I guess it maybe some stores, maybe some areas, it doesn't work. The culture isn't as absolutely. strong. But yeah. us coming in and flying in and, and trying to make them learn is is not yeah. not the answer. It's always, 
I guess, a, a top-down and bottom-up mm. at the same time. And mm. you know, like some stores are just amazing. Like the learning culture in there is incredible. And I think any big business would have those people like that. So I guess mm. what we try to do as much as we can is find those people, celebrate their stories, you know, try and get them to, mm. to share what they're doing with, with their peers as well. You, you connected the, mm. the idea of the learning culture with uh, the duration of the, um, of the learning itself, yeah. the content. First of all, uh, two questions, I guess, in, in, in one is what do you define as micro-learning? Because, you know, for some that could be two minutes, for some that could be ten. Yeah. Um, and do you see that as a direct link, that people being more engaged in the content really can come down to just how long it is and the mm. perception that they can get through it quite fast and, and easily without being stuck in half a So we have three types of learning on the LMS. So we've got video, we've got learning bytes, which are one-pages, they're PDFs, and we've got Evolve modules, which are those vertical scrolling modules. Yep. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and the the Evolve modules are never that long maybe, and within that they, there could be a few different looks and feels. There might be an Evolve module that's got four short, sharp videos in there. Could be an Evolve module where there's a little bit of text, maybe a few slideshows that you click through and then a question at the end or something like that. But I guess predominantly it's, it probably really is video and those one pages. So with the one pages, you know, you, once again, you see in the back rooms, a lot of people would print them off and have it there as a reminder or when they do their morning huddles, they can print off a learning bite that's maybe relevant to that point in time or to what's mm. happening in the store and they can pass it around and use it. So it's mm. not, you know, whether it, or, or they could, um, yeah, bring it up on their, the iPads. Each store has mm. a, or has a tablet, which mm. they can sort of walk around and, and use it in, in their work. Let's talk about access. Cause um, I guess specifically for retail, it's not like everybody's got a computer. No. Um, so yeah. they're accessing the PDFs. Well, they're accessing them in multiple ways, you know, print, Sometimes yeah. looking at them online, passing it around, etc. Yeah, the, that's um, right. The video and the evolved modules are they a lot of mobile phones, or most people just pick it up, pick up the tablet, and well, it's do kind it of work. Sometimes it's kind of interesting because mm. once again, I, we get a lot of our really good stats from Vimeo. Really, mm. sort of able to unpack what the devices are, how long people are on, and, and stuff mm. like that. So we actually see a, quite a mix between. Um, desktop computer device and um, mobile device, so phone and and the tablet. Mm. So that's yeah, kind of an even spread. Kind of an even spread. So mm. I guess those Vimeo stats are, are, are awesome. And when, when you're talking before that, I guess you're not sort of enforcing as such um, the compliance, the tick the box compliance from the LMS. I was thinking you're probably getting more value from a tracking and data decision-making point of view from Vimeo than you would from your actual learning management system. Yeah. The learning management system's just feeding out a lot of the content. Yeah. No, so, no, you've got completions in there as well. And, yeah. And make it accessible to everybody. Yeah, I'm not a huge spreadsheet person, like mm. just probably because I'm not very good at Excel. There's tons of data in the LMS, but it's probably a bit more of a manual process to sift through it and to get those insights, I guess mm. Mm. what Vimeo does at a real quick snapshot is maybe shows us some trends of where people are going. And then from that, we can actually dig a bit deeper in the LMS and see if people are watching this video about safety or they're watching this video about um, denim, mm. are they actually looking at the learning bite mm. as well? Do you know what the most popular bits of content are, just out of interest? So generally it's the stuff that happens in induction. So when someone's yeah. brought on, it's, it's almost like a no-brainer that you show them the, the values. Yeah. Video, there's a few of the, the safety ones. Mm. They're, they're kind of top ones, but within that, then maybe for a year you'd have a video that will absolutely blow up. So we launched Perks, which cat is... Cat videos? Sorry? Cat videos? Cat videos, oh, yeah, always good. Um, also, Perks, yeah. yeah, squirrel on a little surfboard. That, that yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. But I, I guess, yeah, Perks is our um, loyalty card, so reward, yeah. reward points. So that, that, makes sense. that launched last year and 
for the that whole year that was by far and away the yeah. most watched series of videos that we had. So yeah, yeah. So even though we've got our our permanent favourites, every now and then something will bubble up, and yeah. and then also you jump on and yeah, it's kind of interesting just to see where where the audience is going, what what they're trending with and yeah well, that's really interesting it shows you i mean the value of what's in it for me yeah you talk about perks <laughs> yeah know? yeah yeah absolutely yeah. it is i guess yeah how that can then inform that sort of data decision making but yeah having a look at the stats and yeah saying well what, what can we put into a, our and new shoot to get that kind of response yeah absolutely yeah. and i think it's also like most businesses would have stakeholders who want a video or they want an e-learning module on on what's important to them but you can kind of then go back and say well actually we've got something that's similar and it's only got 20 views you know maybe there's it's actually learning is not is not going to fix it here so maybe it's more of a comms maybe it's more of an engagement or or something some messaging from leaders so it's about using stats that way as well oh, another way to get that cut through yeah and do you do much marketing of the of the training like internal sort of marketing Is so we've got yeah. an instagram channel so Great. we use that a lot and i think mm. yeah it's got it's got a lot of um followers so we do a learning bite of the week so we'll highlight um a learning bite that's it's maybe trending or it's on a topic that's maybe being flagged by one of the execs as, as something that's important from that, um, I guess that's how we do a lot of our marketing. I think marketing's it's not something necessarily a process that all L&D uh, groups think yeah. through or have a process for, even if it's as simple as that once-a-week advertising yeah. um, of the Learning Byte. Um, an organisation I worked four years ago we used to do once-a-month interview with, with, with someone that worked mm. within the group, and it was just a little bio on them, you know, but it just get that, – that got more clicks than anything yeah. when it was posted, you know, and um, get people involved. Or we had the CEO's reading list on Yammer, yeah. you know, like yeah, if you're yeah. interested in what they're reading at the moment and yeah. sort of following that topic. So it's a good way to – Yeah, yeah. and – oh, absolutely. And I think there's mm. loads. Uh, you kind of see there's a bit of a ground swell of – L&D professionals talking about leveraging uh, practices and knowledge from the, the marketing world and, yeah, yeah, there's, so, good. yeah there's so yeah. much we can take. And even in our team we kind of looked at our tone of voice. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had some, like a marketing professional come in mm-hmm. who kind of had a look at all of our tone of voice from Learning Bites um, narration, narrated scripts, uh, like a whole gamut of stuff we created. And we kind of identified that out of that, that we're, our tone of voice was all over the place. And also the person that we were talking to was, you know, was like 10 different people, like one second we're like BFFs with them, the next second we're talking to them, you know, like they're... School teacher. Yeah, like we're way too corporate and mm. they're an exec. So it was... I guess even like if you're not marketing directly out to people, actually having that marketing mindset in the background mm. where you're like actually thinking about who you are, what your tone of voice is and, and who your audience is, I think yeah, there's a lot lot that we can learn and, and, mm. and do from in that space. Absolutely. They really are the masters of hitting an audience yeah. very directly. Yeah. And, and uh, that's what we're striving to do in, in L&D is to... Yep. hit that audience very clearly and directly. Yeah. yeah, we've always drawn a very strong link between marketing approach. And, yeah, and, and the more of that, the better. I say, as Brennan mm. says, using those powers for good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's uh, it's like it, all the hooked methodology. You know, you can take heaps away from. Um, you know, I guess that there's so much that people know around how to hook people onto. You know, a good gambling app. <laughs> You know, or, or you, you pull that, or what's that, bejeweled for one of those things, yeah. you know. The hooked methodologies, there's a lot written around that kind of thinking. It is, yeah, that it, it can be used for good yeah. um, and, and get people coming back. You know, tone of voice too in the copywriting style is that that consistency is awesome. I, mm. I guess I, I can see the power of that and then people feel the consistent message. With such a diverse, large organisation though, um, mm. is there a challenge there, James, from a, um, you know, the diversity of the organisation and this sort of tone of voice and, and video in particular. Like, so when you're shooting video, is it, you know, ha- do you get feedback that it's not individualised enough? Can mm. it go out to your global audience? Well, I guess 
there's kind of a saying throughout a business, which is like the cogway. It's mm-hmm. the cogway of talking, the cogway of behaving in line with our values. So mm-hmm. I, I guess we try to align our tone of voice to that cogway as much as possible, mm-hmm. which is very much youthful. It's not pretentious. It's, it's kind of just mm-hmm. getting to the point and, and keeping it simple. Mm. So I guess that's what we try to do as much as possible. So, it's, yeah, like it's very much our tone of voice and we've actually created a little tone map. So we've got all these mm. little levers that we know we can pull on and like little sliders where we know we we need to be at one end of the scale compared to the other. Um, and that's we've got those sliders for humour, for casualness mm. um, and I can't remember the others off the top of my head, mm. but basically as we're writing, we kind of need to make sure they're all balanced up and hitting where we think our tone of voice should be. And, you know, and it's a little bit... That's a great tool. Yeah. Do you print those out instead of having Yeah, we do. Around? We yeah. do. And it's great yeah. because a tone of voice is very subjective and objective that oh, sure someone is. could write something and they say, no, that's the right tone of voice. What are you talking about? And you say, well, no, it's not, but unless you can actually articulate give, yeah, yeah and give tangible reasons why it's not then yeah people are just going to go off and write their own way and and when you've got organizations that maybe have 10 or 12 instructional designers and they're all writing how they write it mm. like in the end of the day you got that that one person who's sitting there consuming all that stuff that people are writing and to them it, mm. it, it might just look like you got 10 different people sort of shouting at them in different ways. So. I like that approach. In a way, it, it simplified things by saying there's the cog way. Yeah. Cog's obviously cotton on group. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, in terms of video and um, I guess getting creative, I, you'd always be looking for new ideas. Is yeah. there any sort of, I don't know, tricks or tips that you can share with us or yeah. this, uh, to keep it interesting and keep that engagement up? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I guess we have three ways of generating ideas in our team. Mm. So the first is probably around brainstorming. So we're given a brief, we know it's a video, we're just sort of struggling with how we're going to approach it. So we use the rule of three where I guess we'll kind of land on an idea. Um, I think an example I could use is we're being creating a suite of videos for leadership training. So a lot of soft skills videos that's around yes quite some quite complex sort of theories mm. and, and ideas and we kind of thought it'd be cool to do that whiteboard animation style because it's a good way of sort of unpacking getting into detail but then for for me anyway I think that style has kind of been a little bit played out it's, it's, a, it's been heavily bastardised lately by some really horrible uh, apps that are coming out. We, we shot it for real, like five yeah, years yeah. ago. It was so hard to shoot. Yeah. Like we had a cartoonist, Andrew Fife, who did oh, wow. Hey, Hey, Yeah, I was going to say. He's a really good artist. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. I mean, I was amazed at watching him work with an audio script and he was literally drawing it. We yeah. had to set a camera up to shoot him and yeah. it was wobbling and when you sped it up, it didn't look good. Yeah. It was a real challenge. But oh. anyway, it has been bastardised yeah. to, the, to the point, yeah. And also, yeah. like, I think because so many people have latched onto it, that is not new. For me, that's not creative anymore because it's mm. not new. Even if it's, even if you do it really well, I kind of feel yeah. like it's been done and everyone's mm. seen it. So then the next step was, well, how do we push that a bit further it was like well maybe we have it like um bring the human element in have someone standing on a green screen and they're almost talking to this animation weather weather girl style i guess so that's kind of happening behind them so that's the bit Mm. so the rule of three is that we try to push it to the third idea so that was the second and to be honest Uh we felt like we hadn't landed it so then the third idea was how about we get the person inside the animation so as it's happening they're kind of interacting with the lines that are flying around mm. there's if there's a model you know a triangle model or something they're sliding down one end and so the, the and that was kind of the aha moment where we could have just sat there and just put a billion ideas on post-it notes and slapped it on a board but we kind of went through that process where we sort of landed on one mm. thing then we pushed it 
once and then we pushed it twice. And we find for us, when we use that brainstorming technique, we really get results. Yeah. I and, really and, like that, yeah. And also I think mm. as an approach and a process, after, after a while, sometimes you can just land on the third idea straight away. Like if you're doing mm. that all the time, sometimes in an instant your brain can kind of just go to the third idea. It goes through the steps. Yeah. And gets directly to yeah. the point. Has, have those three steps ever uh, resulted in you deciding to make a jingle? We have done a jingle. Really? We have. <laughs> I'm stoked. We, and I, I have this, sorry, I have this vision in my head of, you know, L&D, you know, transferring to the musicians of the world and, they, you know, all of a sudden these musicians come and start writing these amazing jingles to yep. get the message out. And, you know, like some kind That's of... That's a way of learning. Thing. Well, it, well, that's how we learn for a long this time. This is the that's way we brush our teeth. This is how we pass on knowledge. It's entertainment. Yeah, absolutely, in a very, yeah. in a very deep way as yeah. well. And, you know, almost this kind of Fantasia style... Mm. The thing of people rolling into work and the music's playing and everyone's humming along, <laughs> yeah. and the safety message is just embedded, right? Yeah. And you drink the Kool Aid as you walk through, yeah. the room. <laughs> right? Yeah. And what was the say, the jingle? Uh, so we did a few versions. Yeah. One was uh, went down like a lead balloon. Another yeah. one, which I uh, was probably still one of the most funs I've had it fun mm. I've had at work, was we filmed. So I sang, which was horrible, to um, oh, this is good. to Ghostbusters, <laughs> and we had one of the team. <laughs> Who was the artist that did Ghostbusters? Willie Junior? Oh, oh anyway. I'll oh yeah, yeah. But it was we'll me. It was yeah. me singing to that while one of the team was sort of running around a store shooting things with with his phone, and we had the, like the little plasma blasts coming out, and it was catch. <laughs> I think because it was about um, racking that had gone evil or something and had turned into ghosts or something. Love so, it. Yeah, yeah, it well, was that, fun. That, that's, you yeah. said the first one was a flop. That was, when I thought of that originally, I thought that, that's got so much room to yeah. fall over because music's so subjective yep. what people enjoy and what they don't. But it works for advertising. Yeah. And so it can work for learning too, I think. Oh, I'm fascinated that you, I was... I wasn't expecting that response. Yeah. I'm so stoked. Gave it a go. That's, yeah. that's amazing. What was the response like from the audience? I think it was pretty good. Um, it was very much only used as for a little campaign, so mm. it was it didn't have a huge shelf life. But um, did you get any comments on your singing? Just yeah. from people in the office. So yeah. you want to share? I, I think <laughs> they probably said, "Don't ever do it again." So yeah. <laughs> I even hit the falsetto bit. Uh, on that note. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure having you, James. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it really is, mate. And uh, the work you're doing just sounds so interesting and engaging. I think Cotton On Group yeah. are lucky to, um, particularly the learners are lucky to be, uh, you know, I guess working there and get access to all that awesome content. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. it's been a blast. Yeah.